Welcome to the podcast of 37 Things You Need to Know About Modern Britain. 37 Things is a series of talks dreamt up by Bug in partnership with the House of St Barnabas. In these talks, we try to unpick modern life by asking open-ended questions about the things that seem important today, whether that's money, the media, the madness of celebrities, or the problem with the colour pink. The House of St Barnabas is a not-for-profit members club that is pledging to break the cycle of homelessness and social exclusion in London. To find out about it, go to hosb.org.uk and Bug is a collection of journalists and business people who like to question accepted ideas. For more information about Bug and to see the other projects we're working on, go to buglondon.co.uk and don't forget, you can actually come along to hear our 37 Things Talks which take place in the chapel at the House of St Barnabas. Just check out either of those websites for details. If you've been following these podcasts, you'll know that generally in part two, we discuss the talks, and this is no exception. So if you haven't heard part one, maybe go back and have a listen. If you have heard it, then just enjoy. So we're going to open this out to the floor in a second. The first thing is we asked you some questions. We asked you some questions. Tell us one thing you love about work. I'm just going to flick through. If anyone else wants to look, um, nothing. That's good. Um, <laughs> making things that people like. Ah, oh, who, who makes things that people like? That is a brilliant yeah. reason, by the way. I really, really like that. Really? Yeah. There we are. Mm. Uh, meeting new people. This is true. Yep. Going to an office. That would say yes. that's a controversial decision. Um, Having and achieving aims. There we are. People. Lots of people, actually. Solving problems. Dogs are welcome. Again, very specific day, I would imagine. <laughs> um, purpose. Inspiring. All good stuff. Things people hate about work is hierarchy. Um, managers. Managers that want to be friends. Jargon. Sitting down all day. Low pay. Uh, blame whores. <laughs> Early mornings. Blue sky thinking days, yeah. <laughs> um, wasting my time, egotists, politics. Yeah, right. <laughs> this is... So firstly, briefly, what do you guys think of those responses from our esteemed audience? I think they're entirely reasonable. And I think they're very, yeah, I, mean, I think they're very, very sensible. Mm. What people like about work mainly is, do you like the people you work with? I mean, that is just, that's the runaway most important thing. And... If you actually like them, the chances are that other things are okay too. Because if you were doing something that was completely empty and meaningless, the nice people probably would have sort of disappeared somewhere else. So I think that's absolutely massively number one. I'm also very much in favor of flirting with colleagues. I think that is a, <laughs> that is something that on a dull day can liven things up, liven things up no end. I think there's possibly less of that than there used to be, but I'm not quite sure. It could just be that I'm an awful lot. I'm just getting on. Yeah, I think so. (laughs) I think one I'd like to disagree with on that actually is hierarchy, because I think people think they don't like hierarchy, but once there's no hierarchy and you have these things called a flat structure, and I've worked places where they say, oh, we've got a flat structure. Flat structure's bollocks. What it means is that there's a massive ego at the top (laughs) and you all have to fight for um, his attention or her attention underneath. And, I, and, and so, and actually, people like um, what, uh, we employ a lot of juniors, and they like the hierarchy mm. because they can see where they are, they can see where they're going, and they can see how they have to get there. And I think 
So hierarchy is about structure, and people like structure. Yeah, I completely so, agree with that. And I think the other thing there is the two or three comments about bad managers, managers who want to be friends, mm -hmm. and I think that's part of mm -hmm. that. It's, mm -hmm. If you've got a manager who uh, allows just poor behaviour, it's very destructive, mm -hmm. and it's just, even people who actually don't want to work that hard eventually get sick of it because it's just uh, the thing that replaces bad management is always politics, and uh, then it gets really nasty. So now we're going to go over to you guys for questions and uh, opinions. Really, is Hannah here? By the way, Hannah. Um, you know Miranda Sawyer, who was to be here but can't be here tonight, and she was talking a bit about what you might have said. I want to start with you. Um, do, are you prepared for this? There we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've known Miranda since I was really young. I used to babysit her kids. Um, and she, for those who don't know, is a journalist and writes about music and pop culture really brilliantly. Um, and I stopped babysitting for her, went to university, left university, interned at a record label ended up running that record label and then left quite acrimoniously a few years later, having had a really successful, exciting time, winning massive awards, selling lots of records, but found it so difficult working in a mostly male environment and having had having had smashed it, basically, but found so much sexism. I was treated so differently to my peers, paid very differently. And as I got a bit more confident with these kind of awards and a few people taking me aside being like, you don't really understand, you know, how unusual this is and how brilliant it is. I got the confidence to leave, took a few months off because I was quite burnt out, um, and then got a new job at a production company, kind of similar to Saatchi's in its world, shithole, amazing reputation, a bit of a leap. I've never produced music videos before, but it was really exciting and challenging. Uh, I've been there a year and a half, and I think I'm going to quit this week, sadly. Um, because it's, I've just had no support. I've got all this enthusiasm and energy and was hired for that and for the reputation I had and just sort of completely set adrift every week, promised like, oh, we're going to invest in music videos, we're going to have weekly meetings, and it just wasn't there, the support. And I think one of my bosses is so experienced and is really good at making these instinctive decisions, and had we been able to work together, his experience with my unbridled enthusiasm and naive energy would have been really exciting and a real force in the industry. Um, but I've just come back from LA where we produced a massive Elton John video and I just felt very alone, unsupported, let down, just it was it was crap. Um, so I'm going to probably quit with no job next because I really like doing that. I'd rather skin I think it makes a real point if you haven't sort of been treated that well you make a bit of a stand I've got a great CV I'll find another job shortly but it's I don't know it's true of a lot of my friends and my boyfriend currently my ex-boyfriend who I met up with recently were like you work all the time you work harder than anyone we know and you're on your phone from the moment you wake up till the moment you go to bed it doesn't define me I do a lot of other things apart from look at my phone but it is a real <laughs> curse of modern jobs today and in the music industry it's so hard for young women. When I left the record label I really wanted to not be bitter about it and be really positive so I set up a kind of discussion group in a pub for women who work in record labels as well 
And it's amazing and it's so powerful when everyone comes together who works in a similar environment where it's lots of blokes telling them what to do all the time. You suddenly realise it's a real thing. It's not just statistics, it's, it's people who have had really horrible harrowing experiences. Um, but I'm really pleased that I did that because it's getting girls into these really interesting jobs that I didn't know existed when I was a kid. And I'm really proud of that. And that's sort of where I'm at so far. Um, so it's been really interesting hearing what it used to be like, how you can be happy in one job for ages, because that's, I think, what a lot of people would like, um, to find a mission or a place they feel challenged and comfortable. But I definitely think it's a very, very difficult thing to do. Um, and there's, you know, a lot of people like, do your own thing, be freelance. But I really don't want to. I love structure. I'm too anxious a person to worry about constantly hustling. So now I'm at that point where it's like, do you freelance? And it's so difficult and terrifying. And I, you know, I don't know if I want to do that. Can I just say how, um, as you know, he's got a... Yeah, I don't... I don't um, <laughs> uh, think think I really, no, can I just say that um, the, the familiarity of that story, for me, came from the fact that um, in the Centre of Entrepreneurs, we did a, um, a report on um, female entrepreneurs, and we had a, a, a event just like this, and there was story after story after story, and each time it then ended, and then I started my own business. And none of them said it was easy. None of them said it was, they all had anxieties, and actually one of the things that, um, that, that came across, because it was a survey of female entrepreneurs and how different, or are there differences with female entrepreneurs and male entrepreneurs, and one of the, one of the things that came, was striking was actually the the risk appetite for female entrepreneurs was much much lower, um, and they and it was much more they wanted structure and they wanted sustainability. But it, it was just really striking listening to that story because it it's exactly I saw so many experiences like that, and especially sexism as well. A lot of them were uh, um, selling up business because they were sick of being underpaid, over you know poorly treated, and and because of their gender. You know, so um, so thank you for that story. I think it's wonderful. You know, but uh, you know that would I would say there is a way. You know, in terms of entrepreneurship, definitely. I would, I would encourage that. So, I think you have come back to me. Yeah, I mean, I feel very sympathetic and very sort of, but also very depressed by your story, just because, for Christ's sake, it's two thousand and seventeen. Um, and the outrageous sexism that I was talking about has gone mostly, except which makes it worse because it's deniable. It's you know, and so that makes it much more difficult to fight. The the easy stuff to fight was the stuff that we did fight, and it's pretty much kind of gone. And you know, some industries are miles, miles worse than others. And I don't know anything about your industry, but it sounds like it's much worse than mine. But and, and I so get the thing about wanting, you know, preferring to be a wage slave and wanting the sort of structure and all of that. And but it's just a matter of finding somewhere better to work. And even in the music industry, there must be better places to work. But the overwork thing is a different point. I mean, the being on your phone all day and just working very, 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 very hard. I don't think that's a general point. I think that's for everybody. Um, and again, some industries are, you know, a hell of a lot worse than others. But you know, the F but even if I look at my thing, you know, as a woman on the FT, um, I've had a very lucky time of it. But if I look back, I 
think how I dealt with it was finding a tiny little narrow niche for myself. If I wrote this sort of piss-taking stuff about bullshit, I wasn't actually competing with anyone else because no one else was doing it. And in a way that suited me, and in a way it was fantastic. But if I now open the FT and I look at the people who are writing the big, heavy political pieces about Brexit and you know the global economy, they're all men, and actually they've got the same education as I had. And so I think in some ways it's a wimpy cop-out that I didn't do that, even though I've had much more of a laugh and enjoyed doing it. So, you know, it, it sort of goes both ways, but, but um, mainly I'm really angry when I hear what you say. And I also hope you, and I'm sure you will find someone that's better and nicer, but bloody Steve, hell. Steve, can I make a quick point? Sorry, uh, very quick, but... Uh, as an employer, I employ lots and lots of people your age. That's what we do is take on very good graduates your age. One thing I notice is that every time there's an um, we don't do assessments, we do goals because we want to be focused on them. But every time we talk about the goals, the first thing that um, uh, the guy will say to me is, well, I want to be paid more. I want to be paid better. And they just they push and push and push. And they, and they are paid. And consequently, you find yourself giving into it. And every time there is a, um, uh, uh, you know, a goals chat um, with, with a female employer, Pay never comes up. They never yeah. ever ask. Mm. And and um, and I, I, I've just if I, for fifteen years I've run my company employing graduates. About I'd say sixty percent of them are female, and it's just something I've noticed. Yeah. What I would do is if we can get the two or three questions, just so then we everyone can have as much say on the floor as possible, rather than we come back on every single question. Just sort of so we we'll maybe give them to you and then you and then there's someone down here, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Uh, thank you. Uh, I suppose my question was, we were, we were talking about modern work is rubbish, but no one in this panel actually talked about automation, artificial intelligence, machine learning. And I was thinking that, sure, modern work can be rubbish, but at least we, we have jobs. And I thought I'd just be interested to see what people's idea is about the fact that we all seem to be kind of like playing on the tracks and not realizing that big train is coming straight for us and it's going to get rid of all the jobs, well, most of them. And just what that means for the work environment in the future. It'd be good to hear your thoughts on that. Do you want to come back? What's your question, sir? Is it? Um, can you pass the microphone over? Uh, we can deal with the question separately, but just so we know where we're going. With. Yeah. Um, hello. So I work in PR um, in a PR agency, which is about eighty percent women, and I think that's maybe representative across the industry of PR, but maybe not financial PR. Um, which uh, which I enjoy. I enjoy my job rather than the fact that it's 80% women. Um, <laughs> um, and when I started working in PR, I thought, wow, this is interesting. I have a lot of friends and peers from university who are now working in management consultancy and corporate law and banking. And um, I'm sure there's more sexism there, but there couldn't possibly be sexism in a place, sexism towards women in a place where there's majority women um, but recently, a few um, female colleagues my age have remarked that there is a lot of sexism towards women in uh, my company, which I haven't necessarily noticed. And I wondered what the, your, the panel's or audience members' thoughts are on whether there might be more sexism in a place where there are m predominantly senior women rather than senior men. Um, and if, to your point earlier, Lucy, that was more difficult because it's more subtle slightly different tack. Um, I was wondering if you think that we expect too much from our work nowadays and whether, you know, way back when we didn't expect it to be 
this wonderful and exciting, um, amazing experience every day. And actually, work can be quite monotonous. It can be a little boring at times. And maybe it's important to retain that sort of objectivity towards work. And it's more a means to an end rather than something which has to be incredibly exciting um, every day. And, and we have to be incredibly passionate about it. Can you join me at the beginning of the next half of the question? Just so we hold on to the mic, don't, um, don't sell it. So what we've got is three, sort of three topics, I guess. One is, um, which I think is worth, again, coming back on. I know the panel's talked a bit about um, accessing the workplace, but talk, uh, I don't think you've talked enough about it. Um, a look at, you were saying, in fact, earlier, this before we started, about what technology is going to do, particularly journalism. So the question about technology and then a question about expectation. So would anyone want to come back on particular one of those initiatives? I'd start on automation, which, um, you know, I couldn't agree more. It is, uh, it's like an asteroid coming towards us. And I think um, my experience of new technology is it always comes with overpromise to begin with. Uh, and there will be, you know, the next few years, there'll be a time when you know, everybody will be walking around saying, what's your strategy on automation? And, God, I haven't got one yet. <laughs> and, and nothing will happen. Uh, and a few companies will overinvest in it and it will fail. Uh, and everybody will say, oh, that never happened. And then uh, five years later, maybe it will be just like an asteroid. And I don't think anyone knows what the effect of that will be. Uh, the assumption is it will wipe out jobs, it will wipe, it certainly will wipe out some jobs. Um, in the past, uh, this has led to, this kind of thing has led to vast increases in wealth and production, new and different types of work. And um, the question is, will that be repeated? And I don't think anyone knows, but um, it's going to be, it's going to cause a level of disquiet, I would say, as it works through. I think level of disquiet is a very nice way of putting it. Um, I think it's very hard to look at this without feeling absolutely terrified and, and you know, it makes me feel very glad that I'm the, the age I am. I mean, you know, if you look at previous ways of, you know, when sort of the industrial revolution, say, I mean, you know, there have been periods in history where people have had similar anxieties, but enough wealth has been created and, 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 and sort of different sorts of, you know, jobs have been displaced from, from, from one place to another. But, but I think in this case, if you just concentrate on the particular sector that you're in now, it's, you know, journalism is what I know about. Um, almost all journalism will be able to be done, yeah, digitally. Almost all of it, you know, even sort of column and pinioning journalism can be done like that. So it's very, very difficult to look into the future to think that we hardly need journalism at all. And that's in spades if you're in the sort of banking accountancy, you know, or most of the professional-ish jobs that people in this room do. So yeah, it's, uh, so, so mildly disturbed, I think, doesn't quite capture it for me. Mildly, what was it? Mildly? Uh, quite, slightly disquieted. Just slightly disquieted, doesn't really do it for me, no. Um, on, on automation, um, I want to come on to PR and sexism, actually, but um, on automation, I think, um, I think it's overblown, actually. And the reason I think it's overblown is because um, if you look at food, um, as an example, in the 1970s, the 1960s, I mean, I, I was brought up, one of the reasons I'm only five foot eight is I was brought up on uh, bird's eye processed foods and uh, <laughs> uh, Finder's crispy pancakes were a treat in our house. 
And um, uh, you don't even know what Finder's Crispy Jambas are. They're, they're amazing. And, anyway, but 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 look what happened to food. It became uh, it became a higher quality. It became local. It became much more authentic. And that, and the whole processed food industry is still there. But there is plenty going on um, in the food industry that is wonderful, actually. And and therefore, I think authenticity. I think that you know how can a computer ever write an article as good as Lucy Kellaway. I just don't think that's possible. Obviously. And I think and I think that you will always be able to tell and I think there will always be a market for authenticity and actually automation will increase the market for authenticity. So I'm a, I'm a bit of an optimist on the on the automation thing. On that on, on PR and sexism absolutely um, one of the you know we're 60% women. I think one, I think PR is a sexist industry actually. I don't even think there's sexism in PR. I think it's actually a sexist industry. One of the reasons women are so dominant in PR is because of um uh, is, is because a lot of the clients like having you know you called it table totty which which made me laugh but there's a lot of you know we get clients that say oh no we don't want mark no no is laura available you know and we just get that all the time and i think that you know and it's it's quite obvious that that's the case you know they they talk about chemistry etc cetera, etc cetera. but uh, you know so i i i completely accept it and i think that one of the reasons it's a female-dominated industry. It's because of it's because it's a sexist industry, and and uh, and I think that's so. I, and it's something we try and fight. We do thought leadership campaigns that are based on good writing, and I think you should be able to judge the writing, etc. But even there, I think that it creeps in, and I'm, and I'm I'm sorry to say that. In terms of expectations, will I refer to obviously Maslow? And my view is that. Um, you're absolutely right, but I think we're right to bang on the door of self-actualization. That's what, you know, human, you know, I think that, that um, my generation, it was all about materialism, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, and you know, and if, and if I look at my parents, I'm incredibly critical of my parents. I think they did a wrong job bringing me up. And, um, and it really annoys me. And one of the things that I think about is because they were, they were not self-actualized. They were totally focused on, on materialism. And, and actually they brought me up okay. I didn't want for anything. I got perhaps one too many Finder's crispy pancakes, but I didn't want anything. And they were focused on materialism. They weren't at that level. We're now above that and we're focused on self-actualization. And I think that's a good thing. So I don't, you know, I don't, I don't regret, I, I hear what you're saying, but I don't, I think it's the sign of a sophisticated society that we're moving in that direction. I'm somewhere in between because I think not everybody is ever going to get to that mm. place and not actually everybody wants that from work. But I think one of the things that we're losing is that um, we're starting to only respect people who can play the self-actualization uh, game. And to me, um, if somebody turns up for work and makes an effort, they are absolutely entitled to a level of respect, a level of support, which clearly, in, to differing degrees, was absent from your experience. Um, and it is not that hard to give people that level of respect and that level of support. And interestingly, some unexpected companies that you maybe wouldn't think would care about that sort of thing are actually getting quite good at it. And some places that you think, surely, yeah, look at the company, look at the product, look at what they say they care about, they should be good at this, struggle with it. And I think it's, it is just that basic stuff that can make you feel better about going, going to work when you don't get the self-actualization. Yeah, I mean, I, evidently from what I said, I agree with you completely. I think that it's an absolute luxury available only to a very, very few. And the rest of us should be happy 
with something lower down. I don't think there's anything wrong, you know, whoever was it said the most honorable thing that anyone can ever do is to be employed in the making of money, which is that somebody else is prepared to pay you for the labor that you are providing. That is an honorable transaction. And I think it's one we've lost sight of because we're too addicted to equating work and status. You know, that is just such a downer that you are what you do. And it leaves so little scope for the sort of, you know, if you like the self-actualization side of things, if you have to have that at all, to be found elsewhere. It's fine to get it from, you know, separating. Well, I'd say people seeking status are lower down. Well, maybe that's a bit lower. But, 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 but it is this sort of, I sort of think it's just slightly debauched, really, that we can't be happy, happier with less. Because actually, even... I mean, maybe the, the, you know, AI will change all of this, but, but most jobs, as you correctly say, are very, very boring. And I'd say I'm bored about, I don't know, 40% of the time. And that's, uh, that's good. I mean, actually, how many people in this room are never bored at work? How many people probably spend about half of their time doing things that are relatively boring? And how many people think that's kind of fine? Because that's just the way... I'm asking very leading questions, but I consider <laughs> my case is proven. Brilliant. So we have here, who else has questions? And we can do, and then we've got, okay, so there's four, let's try and ask those four questions. We're slightly tight on time, but let's try and deal with all of them. Yeah, so my question is about the role of ethics in work. Um, so having, having... You're talking to journalists a lot here. You <laughs> yeah, I'm an accountant. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... Ha- one, I hope. <laughs> so... Nothing. <laughs> um, so having dealt with the client meetings in strip clubs and so on 20 years ago, and then having worked on Enron, oh, wow. um, 20, years, 20 years later, I'm now in senior management. So what that gives you is the option of making, sometimes being the voice for ethics in the room, to be able to say, you know, we should pay our cleaners the London living wage. Even if it costs us money, it's still good for us because of the, the PR benefits and because we have happier staff. But equally, you get a completely different level of bullshit at senior management level. Um, and you end up buying into these unexamined truths. And when do you make a moral stand at work? And when do you, when is, when is it your job to implement policy? And when is it your job to challenge policy? Um, what do you think about these sites like um, Glassdoor? Um, that they're a bit like the trip advisor for workplaces. Could they take off and give workers a bit more power? Because, it, I mean, we're sort of thinking of technology as a very negative thing, but it, it, in a sort of whistleblowing type thing, it might actually give people more power. And, and things like Barclays, the, the story in the last few weeks about the chairman being shamed by his treatment of the whistleblower, in some ways there's a, there's a sense that these things are getting found out more now. Cool. Um, I wanted to take it back to expectations just a little bit and ask the panel what they, where they think those expectations begin. Um, because I remember I went to a sixth form that always told us that it was the best in the district. Um, it was like right next to Harrow School, and I think that kind of put a lot of pressure on it to be good. Um, and so we were all sort of quite middle class, um, but there was this expectation that we would become certain professions. Um, and I remember being in class with people who we were all competing with each other to eventually become a doctor or in finance or a lawyer. Um, and I just wondered what the, where the panel think 
expectations about work begin? So we have ethical standards. When should you follow policy and when should you oppose? The, the idea of the things like Glassdoor, which I think is a great site, it's a very good way to find out about a company, but that's a sense that it's possible now to, to shame your boss, I guess. Um, expectations, where do they begin and how, how do we manage that? Who would like to start on ethical standards? I'll have a go at ethical standards. I mean, I think it's very hard to feel anything other than really gloomy about the amount of times that the word ethics appears in all corporate pronouncements. And there's definitely an inverse relationship between how often companies talk about it and how, what they actually feel about it. Um, I think that if you are in, uh, normally what it means is following the law and not doing anything that's going to result in horrendously bad PR, and that's it. Um, if that, and that's a sort of best case, as you well know, having been doing all, all, all of the stuff that you do. I mean, when you're in a company and you want to make a, a moral stand and say we need to pay the living wage, um, I think it's always a good time to make that point. But you have to be prepared to leave as well. So, and a lot of us aren't in that position. So, I mean, you know, that, so that isn't exactly whistle, whistle blowing you're talking about. It's making, it's trying to force your company to behave in a more ethical ma manner than it would otherwise be inclined to. And that's a brave thing to do, and it's something we should all aspire to do, but most people aren't in that position. Um, ethics was the county I was brought up in, so <laughs> I'm, I'm probably going to leave it there, actually. I just think it gets a bit political, and um, so, um, so I'm probably going to leave it there on the glass door thing. Um, glass door terrifies me as an employer um, I, uh, I think and, and therefore I think it's brilliant I think it's a it's, a, it's an extraordinary um, it's, if you put you know light on shed light on anything I think it's always going to be uh, it's going to improve things there's no doubt about it so I think that I, th I worry about the TripAdvisor element in that you can you know if you go on to TripAdvisor that you know it's normally yeah the only time you're ever really motivated to go on to TripAdvisor is when you're pissed off about something so I, I would obviously want there to be balanced but I, I do you know I can't help thinking boy I wish you know when I'd had that when um, you know I was sort of uh, uh, working some of the crap jobs I had and, um, and obviously as an employer now it absolutely completely terrifies me so that can't be a bad thing um, expectations is the other one um, I'd like to address, and I think that um, it clearly begins with parents, obviously, and I think it also begins with your um, school friends as well. And I think that um, uh, you know, obviously, you know, the, the sort of school environment I went to, anyone that um, uh, had uh, expectations beyond um, you know mucking around, beyond um, cheating the teacher, beyond you know just trying to um, do as little as possible. Um, was obviously um, was slightly picked upon. Not that I I, I absolutely bought into the muck around, um, uh, you know, bully the teacher scenario because I was I had low self esteem and so I wanted to be a popular boy and so therefore I I fell in with the the regime if you like. But I think that you know I think that um, uh, school uh, is the key place where I think you are where your expectations for life are set. And if, if your parents aren't going to set them for you, and it actually brings up a fantastic conversation we were having before, um, where Lucy's going to work, which is um, uh, Mosbourne, uh, which is in Hackney, which is where I live, and just what an extraordinary school it is. Where And it replaced Hackney Downs Comprehensive, which was very much the sort of school I w uh, went to, um, uh, if not a lot worse, where there were very low expectations um, uh, made on the children, uh, with a school that had 
astonishing expectations made on the children. And I think it, you know, I mean, I don't want to speak for it. It's your school. Well, actually, I want to just say very, very quickly on expectations. I think employers um, are partly responsible for setting expectations wrongly. Because they, especially, and this is especially to new graduates, they're all competing for new graduates. And, and so they all overpromise. And I think this is one of the problems. And, you know, every, and, and that's not even just at graduate level. Everyone says, you know, come work for us. It's going to be the most creative, most amazing, bloody, bloody, blah. And then, of course, it's not. So there's that. Uh, expectations. Um, I would say some of the saddest people I've ever known are those people who've been doing a job that their parents thought they should do. Uh, in fact, one of the saddest moments of my life was that somebody who was London Business School, it still pains me, this person who told me, was, uh, realized he was not going to make it to the next level of management. He said, I never wanted to be a banker. Uh, you know, the only reason I did it was because my father told me it would be a secure job, and now you're telling me it's not even a secure job. And it's like, how much I can say to that? Because yes, you've summed it up. Uh, so I would say only ever do a job for yourself. Never try and do it to please your school, please your parents, or what have you. It's your life. Do the job you want to. Um, on the tech thing, uh, yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that's happening is technology is creating monopolies. And um, monopolies are always bad. Always, always bad. We've known this since Roman times. And it is shameful that our governments are colluding with the setting up of monopolies and um, sadly technology tends towards monopolies and if we don't find a way of breaking that it will be an ugly world and it won't be easy I'm a red-blooded capitalist monopolies are not part of capitalism I think that comes with the ethics as well I think uh, monopolies I think that's when because um, for me uh, I'm, I'm a believer in you know the Adam Smith's invisible hand and I think that it's only when that's completely corrupted, people have to start making up the idea of ethics. You know, actually, it was very natural in a, in a, in a, in a, in a Adam Smith's pure market scenario, it, the, the ethics would be very natural because you would, you would just get wiped out if you didn't have ethics. Whereas actually in a monopoly scenario, you have to invent ethics. So that brings us pretty much to our time. So, House of Vaughan, you've been great, but also, have our panel. So if you could join me in thanking Gareth Coombs, <laughs> Lucy Calloway, and Robert Kelsey. Thanks for listening. To find out about the House of St Barnabas, go to hosb.org.uk. And for more information on Bug, go to buglondon.co.uk. And both websites have details on how you can get tickets and come along to one of our talks. So why not come along? Maybe I'll see you there. <laughs>